So there's a character that um, I like in the suttas. Um, this character's name is uh, Rohi Tassa. And uh, often I tell this uh, story just because I, I like it so much. Uh, I think the teaching is uh, profound. I think the, this uh, teaching also is... Um, is um, kind of validating what we're doing on the retreat. And uh, I particularly uh, delight in the character. Uh, uh, Rohitasa is, um, is a young person with a lot of energy, a lot of, uh, you could say, uh, chanda, a lot of energy for practice, a lot of curiosity, very alive. Um, I picture Rohitasa as a... Uh, you you can't tell if it's a male or a female, like kind of transgender, and uh, a little bit like I imagine Puck in the Midsummer Night Dream, like you can't tell, and there's something very beautiful about this, you know, and you, so you you really have to get to know the character for who they are, you know, and uh, Rohitasa has the chance to meet the Buddha, and. Uh, goes really with all um, their, um, uh, their energy uh, and ask the Buddha, tell me, is it, what do you think? Is it, um, can you, can one reach the end of the world by traveling? Is it possible to reach the end of the world by traveling? I'm very curious about this. And so the Buddha says, no, it's not possible to reach the end of the world by traveling. And Rohitasa goes like, this is amazing. This is, this is completely mind-blowing. Of course, I'm paraphrasing here, but that's pretty much it in the text. I'm, it's mind-blowing. Like I, like I ask you, is it possible by traveling to reach the end of the world? And you, your answer is just very simple, very direct. No, it's not possible by traveling to reach the end of the world. And Rohitasa goes on saying, because I, I wanted to know this, and I have a lot of psychic powers, it happens. <laughs> And I can, I can really travel really fast. And I can make huge step with one step if I want to. I can, uh, I can uh, go from the Eastern Sea to the Western Sea. And so I decided to see this for myself. And I just took this on. And I just started traveling. And I tell you, like, I, I kept going and going and going. And, and, and I, I, honestly, I really just, just stopped to like eat, like the basic things, you know, or urinate, defecate, and a uh, little rest. But basically, as soon as this was done, I would just keep going and going and going. And I never reached the end of the world. It just didn't happen. And, and so then I ask you, and you just say, no, it's not possible by walking or traveling to reach the end of the world. So I'm, I'm amazed by that. And the Buddha says, I say that it's not possible to, um, 
to reach the end of the world by traveling, but I also say that it's not possible to come to the end of suffering without reaching the end of the world. And it's, it's in this fathom-long body with its mind and its perception that one can find the world, the beginning of the world, the end of the world, and the way to the end of the world. It's in this fathom long body with its mind and perceptions that one, and I'm adapting here a little bit, that one uh, can find suffering, the origin of suffering, the end of suffering, and the path leading to the end of suffering. At this point, there's no more uh, speech from Rohita, so I think he's, he's speechless. He? They. <laughs> Rohitasa is speechless. And so, you know, we, it's not like, or oh, we may have traveled to try to find uh, the end of suffering. But now we have this wisdom maybe to actually come on retreat and slow down for a while and find all of this inside this fathom long body with its mind and perceptions. This is what we're doing here. Very much in line with uh, what the Buddha would have wished for us. Yeah. So there's something right, wise about this here. And tonight I want to talk about the four noble truths which are very central in this teaching uh, of the Buddha. Compare sometimes to the print, you might have heard that, of the elephant, in which all the other footprints of all the animals of the jungle fit, they fit in. So in the same way, all the teachings of the Buddha, and maybe the Buddhas, can fit in this one teaching. So, the four noble truths, or the four noble tasks, tasks, as I think uh, maybe Stephen Batchelor uh, names them. Yeah. The, the noble truth of uh, suffering, there is suffering, there is a cause to suffering, there is the cessation of suffering, and there is a path. And maybe you know this teaching very well. For me, there's something about uh, almost like storytelling, like revisiting something really known. I have the same feeling often with the instructions. I like to hear, you know, the instructions again and again, just because it's, uh, it's my groove, it's our groove, it's, uh, it's our field, yeah, so... Um, I come from the theater world, studied that and 
seen many, many plays. And there's a festival, a theater festival that I love in Montreal. Um, and they, uh, people who are mm, the founder of this festival, they go all over the world during the whole year and they try to bring the best of uh, uh, that best plays they can, the most advanced uh, kind of research that is done in the theater world or the most touching or the most interesting art that is done uh, in this field and try to see if they can bring, it, bring uh, back uh, these plays to Montreal for two weeks uh, every year. And um, so maybe, I don't know if it will happen, but I, I had in mind to talk about a few of these plays that I've seen, which had very strong, uh, left a very strong impression uh, in me. So one play that I saw uh, one time was uh, by an English, uh, uh, English um, company, and uh, they were called Forced Entertainment. And uh, they, were, they were kind of exploring... Uh, entertainment. What is entertaining and what is not? You know, in a, in, a, in a way, in a radical way, you could say. They really wanted to see uh, this and also explore the world of uh, convention that is very alive in the theater. You know, like we agree that you're my sister or mother or something like this. And, and so there's a convention and everybody agrees, okay, you're sister and, uh, and uh, brother, you know, and and they, we all agree on the convention. Did you see a relation with your life, the conventional reality? This is me, but, you know, I, I feel this, I, and how we can get mistaken by conventional reality, and suddenly with doing our research into the convention of reality to find out that, oh, what I call I is not really I, it's there, it's really, really there. There are thoughts, there are emotions, there are sensations, but they cannot really be claimed. It, it's a convention. I say I, but I shouldn't be mistaken. Like, we shouldn't really think that we're brother and sisters after the play, you know, when I go back home, you know. Otherwise, it gets very complex, you know. <laughs> you know? So we don't want to mistake things. Anyway, forced entertainment that evening. Uh, one of the first person that uh, actor that comes on stage um, says um, uh, comes in front and says, "Hey, hello, everyone! Welcome to the theater. We're going to have like a beautiful evening of entertainment for you this evening. And uh, please do not think about anything that this uh, is disagreeable. You know, like you're here to have a good time. So don't think about, um, for example." Uh, parking just here is uh, in the whole of Canada. Apparently, insurance um, uh, insurance company says the worst corner of street for a car to be stolen and stuff like this <laughs> in this neighborhood of Montreal. So don't think don't think about this. We're really here to have a good time, and don't think about uh, so. They're very radical. Uh, uh, so they, so they just keep going on and saying, like, don't, don't think about... Um, so anything related to transport. If you don't own a car, that's good for you, but uh, there's a big hockey match tonight, and the play's going to finish exactly at the same time as the hockey match. So subway's going to be not easy. But don't, don't think about this. It's not now. You know, don't think about this. 
don't think about uh, anything medical. You don't want to think about any like biopsies, bioscopies, and MRI, and these, you know, like strange sensations in the body, and like. Don't think, and you could see people starting to stand up and leave the room, you know, the, the theater, because they were like, "What is this? This is sick," you know, like this is very disagreeable. And but they kept going for maybe, I would say, a good 20 minutes. The the woman who was there kept saying, and she went through everything that was family uh, difficulties, uh, relational difficulties. Uh, you know, children, health. I mean, and I was sitting there and kept thinking, they have to be Buddhist. <laughs> you know, to be so thorough about suffering, first noble truth, you know, to be so particular about every kind uh, of uh, suffering, they have to be uh, Buddhist. But then when the this number... Uh, finished, and then they moved on to another very strange kind of entertainment. <laughs> and there was more and more of this really strange thing, which I found very interesting uh, for me, for my mind was like, wow, okay, so this is, is it still entertaining or not entertaining anymore? And what's the edge here, you know? Of, um, but after I was also thinking, wow, 20 minutes of naming everything, and they named only the first kind of dukkha, dukkha, dukkha. The dukkha that we can recognize, the, 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 the dukkha being here, uh, the word I use uh, is used in Pali for suffering or uns, uh, unsatisfactoriness, yeah? or stress, if you want. So they had named only one part. They hadn't named a second part, which we called... Uh, Uh, the suffering that is related to maybe uh, impermanence. That, for example, if they had done their research better, maybe I should have write to them after <laughs> and say, look, <laughs> there's a whole other part you didn't include in the, what's difficult, is the fact that even what is pleasant passes. You know? And so you could have included that in your thing. Like, Don't think that You know, and name all the things that we find pleasant, but that are passing or that we know might pass. And just that little stress that comes with that, that I'm feeling something that is pleasant, but somehow deep inside of me I know that it's... Or I'm fooled, and I'm going to find out soon enough that that's not where I can put really my happiness because it's um, like the sand in the um, sand thing. Yeah, our glass. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, so this is another kind of uh, form of uh, unsatisfaction that we get to taste in our life. We feel this and we feel this even more I want to say vividly in, uh, in our silent practice maybe because of the silence we can feel, you know. There's a state of mind and I might lose it or there's a taste and if I'm really quiet, you know, there's this taste, so good, this particular taste and then, wow, it's gone. Or there's this moment of beauty with the frog singing and suddenly because of a 
something crosses my mind or something happens in the environment, it disappears for a moment. And wow, we see that it's uh, unstable, you know. And there's something touching I find about this. Yeah. And we find out in our practice that there's a, even a third kind of uh, dukkha or mm, challenge. It's the challenge of uh, everything that is made of something else, conditioned, uh, fabricated. Yeah. So just having a body without thinking of the sickness, disease, just the fact of having a body, having senses. And I heard some of you describe this, getting very, very quiet and sensitive. And just the bell is intense, you know, or the number of words at night, you know, during the talk or, you know, anything like uh, we can feel that these six doors the senses, but also the mind being open, there's always uh, some, that's kind of the negative version, but you might recognize this, there's always some kind of impingement. You want quietness, but ideas cross your mind all the time. No, you shouldn't do that. No, you should do that. What should you do? What should I do with this? You know, and, and you would like to have it very quiet, but there's production of memories, images, associations of mind you know, uh, emotion, doubt. So there's always things coming in through the sense doors, any of them. And um, the, there's a word I'm looking for, I won't find it, but this particular situation of being a human being, that we find ourselves in the middle of these senses, being touched all the time, yeah? And if we get even more quiet, then we start seeing the rising and passing of things all the time, that nothing is really stable, shaky, like the Buddha said, shaky. Once you've seen how shaky the world is, that, um, for example, just looking, that the mind always has to see the floor again, see the people again, like... The experience is disappearing all the time. Yeah? I do this now, I look around, and the experience is constantly, there's need, a need for a new contact with reality, a new contact. It's always escaping, in a way. And so there's no stability there. And to actually be touched by this. So these three kinds of, uh, of dukkha. And the thing that mm, I want to say touches me the most in this is how vivid, I want to say, how intimate, I don't, yeah, I think these are good words, is the experience of suffering in any of the ki kinds. The mental suffering, of hopelessness, how it's not just an image, it's not bi-dimensional, it's, I see it as three-dimensional, it's uh, porous, it's, uh, it's embodied. If, if I would have created a world, I could not have imagined a world where you would have been so 
touched by states of mind, so touched by uh, all the things that happen. I'm amazed by that. Maybe in the same way I could say that it's amazing that an experience of freedom is also something that can be known very, very intimately, uh, is also porous, is also, uh, yeah, vivid, can be vivid. This to me is very mysterious. How could that come about? How does that form? I don't know that. But I know that I find myself in the midst of it, and when it's difficult, it's so difficult. It's not just an idea of difficult, it's a, it's a felt sense of difficult. The second noble truth is the cause of suffering. And it is said that mm, sometimes we think that the cause of my suffering or stress are many. It's the person next to me in the room or cushion. or <laughs> This is one of my source of suffering. Another is that the broccoli is too cooked. No, no. <laughs> it's always... <laughs> that, that doesn't... That, I don't know where I got that from another center. <laughs> the cause of my suffering is my uh, partner, uh, my parent, my child. The cause of my suffering is uh, the institution, is the system, is the, you know... We think the cause of our suffering are many, but the way I understand this is that the cause of suffering in the Buddhist view is one. It's called tanha in Pali. It's this thirst. Also very interesting to me that the way I understand things, uh, how things have been presented to me is that my thirst is my way to happiness. That if I really want this, and I really, you know, I remember one time, I was, I'm traveling a lot to, it was to sit retreat, and now it's to sit and teach retreat. And at some point, there was this thirst for the perfect luggage. <laughs> and I really got caught thinking that the perfect luggage with that weight and these wheels that went like that, and you know, that the luggage would really be my happiness. Like, my thirst was talking to me about happiness. This way, it's this way, it's this way, <laughs> sometimes. But then I engaged into, you know, looking on the internet for the perfect, and then I became a kind of a profession. Like, really, I could have been hired in a luggage shop, I swear. <laughs> I knew everything about litters and, you know, shapes and, you know, packing and... and <laughs> And I got the perfect suitcase. I've used it about once, and it's really a wrong choice. <laughs> but the thirst sometimes said, hey, your happiness is this way. And if you... This is in a, kind of in a, maybe in a dominant culture, you could say. Maybe not 
in your particular culture or subculture. But there's something about this advertisement, you know? What was the one, you know, you need one, if you're one with everything, you need one of everything, you know? And so this thirst, and suddenly you encounter the Buddhist teaching and it's, it says, oh, happiness is non-thirst. Check out thirst. Check out the promise of happiness, but the immediate experience of lack. Check out, maybe as Guy Armstrong, I think I heard said many years ago, check out the frustration factor in when I get that other mind state, I'll be happy. When I get to be that other being, the one without that behavior or without that attitude of mind or without that, you know? Check this out. The cause of suffering is this thirst or craving, craving to, um, for sense pleasure, for the pleasantness. The craving for pleasantness, the craving to be to be seen like this, to be uh, like that, to experience that. Check this out. It can get extremely rough, ref, refined and subtle, and sometimes not refined at all. <laughs> like so not refined, but very active. Or the thirst, the craving not to be. I come in the dining hall I feel uh, exposed. I don't want to exist in this way. I'd like to not be. And in there, between the, between the craving for being or the craving for not being, the middle path of being with what is, knowing with what is, in order to free the mind. But anyway, these are very important teachings, very important things to see in action as they're happening. When I said the four noble tasks, maybe it's because of each one have um, the something to do, or is that the right way to say it? Maybe I could refine that one tonight. Um, later. Uh, but the task around the suffering is not to get rid of it, it's to understand it. Yeah? To me that's very important and it speaks to what we're doing here, which I call sometimes soaking in it. Like soaking in the clinging and to discover the cause of the clinging, the craving behind maybe but soaking in the reactivity, getting to know vividly, intimately, have a very intimate contact with reactivity, maybe. With opinion, my opinion about how it should be. You know? Just hanging out with that. Not easy work. Yeah? Or the wanting to be you know, to feel the suffering of this wanting to be other, 
otherwise feel something else. It's very important. Not easy, extremely important. Let me know that. Sometimes I, I used to think in my mind, don't, please, don't go away too quickly. Loads of information in there. I want to actually know the state of refusing something that is happening. I want to know it intimately. Maybe the only way to release it. Yeah. In the suffering, there's maybe one uh, aspect that I didn't name in words, was, uh, and we've been mentioning it in the last few days, and I think maybe it's good to mention it again, is the deep sankharas, the deep conditioning that can resurface on retreat or in our life. Can be, um, and I'm thinking about this, I have an idea in mind, so I'm trying to introduce it, so forgive me if it's not done so. Uh, um, a few years back, and not so many years actually, I say a few years back, keeps it general, you know, you can put what you want on it, but just between me and you and the camera <laughs> and the tape <laughs> and the internet. <laughs> it was not, not so many years ago. Um, something difficult happened in my life and uh, I, I was remembering it as I was here. Uh, I remember, and I was actually starting to teach and... Uh, and just before the um, retreat started, I drove to, um, to a point race where there is one, I mean, there's many cliff in point race, but there's a particular point where I reached. And I was just sitting there. Uh, there was a lot of grief and sadness. And I was uh, trying to be mindful, trying to accompany this in the most gracious, the most compassionate way. But there came a wave suddenly of... Uh, really strong desire not to be. I think the pain was such that there was this really strong desire to not be. And at that time, I was just looking at the edge of the cliff. Uh, and there was a little um, fence or something like this there. And I was just looking. And, and the desire to, to jump was, was extremely strong, very, very strong. Um, and it was really hard for me to be mindful of this because the state of mind was very, very poignant, very vivid. And there was really like, there was the kind of a promise that there would be the end of suffering by uh, doing this. And in a way I was also in shock because I hadn't felt, I had the break of 20 years of that that I, and so with being there, I could remember that strong, such strong wish when I was a teenager and a young adult, so powerful and gripping the troth and, and uh, completely changing the perceptions. Like it was not the beauty of Point Race as I know it and I love this nature there. Suddenly it was, it was just the cliff 
not as something beautiful, but as an escape or as a way out. And it was a very challenging practice for me to actually be there and feel the power of this desire not to be. And then um, it's wave-like nature where it peaked and suddenly it kind of just, it didn't disappear, but it reduced just enough that I knew there would be no action about it. You know, there would, there would not be following anything on it. But um, just the, the depth of the despair that showed up there. And it happened a few times in that time. I remember maybe four times, four different times where it was extremely powerful. And how it was touching on very old stuff of uh, I don't know if that's how, I mean there's probably many conditions how it came about when I was a teenager, but certainly very well interior inter how do you say that you know what I'm going to say interiorized internalized homophobia and bullying you know and and the, the deep sense that there was something uh, wrong, deeply, authentically, absolutely, really, not conventionally, but absolutely wrong with this being, you know. And uh, anyway, so just naming that the force of that craving to be or not to be, that is the suffering. The force of that and how, why one would actually practice uh, developing strong awareness, you know, and expanding the field of awareness so that any state can come by. And now, uh, sometimes I drive back to, um, to Point Race, and if I happen to be at the same place, I look around and I'm like, wow. The experience is so different. The perception of me, me is so different, so held differently. The perception of land, of nature. And there was impermanence in that. But so vivid, so poignant, so seductive. This tanha, this craving, when met with uh, right effort, as a, or wise effort, as we knew was uh, kind of instructing us and con- uh, discussing, when it's met with w- wise effort and attention with sati, mindfulness, it becomes a door, one of the doors that uh, Jack was talking about. So is the suffering when met with um, this loving awareness, with care, it can become a door. That's the beauty of this path. This is the path, is to use what is there, what perpetuates suffering, and to bring tender care to it in order to um, 
almost alchemically, you know, transforming this into the vehicle, you could say. So the third noble, noble truth, the end of suffering, it's possible. And I remember, I think it's Ajahn Shah, uh, not Ajahn Shah, but Ajahn Sumedho saying, this is not any old bit of information, you know? It means that the other are extra. You know, the two first one are extra. This, this, this is quite something, yeah? And the thing that I find not any old bit of information is that the second uh, truth, the cause of suffering, is uh, it's in the mind. It's not in the world. If it's in the world, I'm in trouble because I can't control it. But it, if it's in the mind, and there's a, actually a path to clearing uh, the mind, if we could say it in a very simple way, that's also a bit inf of information that has a lot of importance, yeah? So, this third uh, noble truth of uh, the cessation of suffering with the cessation of craving, I think Jack spoke of very, very beautifully with the different facets uh, of it. The clarity that can come, the joy, the peace. Uh, even, um, it's not the words that he used, but uh, some, 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 some way that I, uh, I don't know how to say that, some, some ways that I relate to it or think of it also is uh, uh, the facet, can you tell me if you agree, of ordinariness, of something so extremely simple, not big light and show, not, uh, not grandiose in any way, but really having this particular color of ordinariness, simpleness. the absence of craving, even in a very subtle form of identifying, wanting to uh, be the one who uh, own the appropriation or possession. What's beautiful in this is that, uh, in a way, you'll see for yourself if you find it beautiful, but that the eight winds remained. The wind of pleasure and pain, the wind of uh, fame and disrepute, you know, the wind of uh, maybe gathering and separation. I mean, the eight, 1632 winds, you know, uh, remain there. Another play uh, that I saw, you might, some of you might have seen this. This one came from uh, Italy. 
um, it's um, Romeo Castellucci, who's a very, uh, very respected uh, theater director, who um, did this play and the title, I'm going to translate it, there's probably a title in English, but uh, in, in English it would, uh, it would, the title would be On the Concept of the Face of the Son of God. That was the title of the play. And uh, Castellucci was um, somebody who studied uh, Les Beaux-Arts, uh, fine arts. And preparing for a new play, somebody that a lot of people follow, follow his thoughts, follow his ways of doing things, because it's really at the, for, at the forefront of the art. You know? And uh, he thought... Uh, yeah, he was flipping through his... Um, stuff from his uh, years at the fine arts and paintings and stuff. And then he found this, um, this painting of Christ that he said, from the first moment I saw that um, image of Christ, I thought that this was perfection. There was perfect beauty in this. The really beautiful, compassionate look of Christ on this picture was was for him was the most touching thing. And he said, I want to do a play around that, that is for me beauty and compassion. And how could I bring on stage the most uh, profound experience of beauty for people? And in his research, he thought, where is it the unlikely place to find beauty? And he thought, um, about the most unlikely place, like I told you, shit. And he thought, how could I, of the things that uh, we have trouble with, we're disgusted by, we have uh, discomfort with, how could I bring beauty out of this? And so he made this um, display that I saw that was so deeply touching. And so imagine a huge stage, twice this, the size of here, what's in front. It's huge. And on the stage, it's naked. There's, there's almost nothing except... Um, well, I start with the backdrop. The whole of the backdrop, it goes way up, and then the back there is a reproduction of this painting of Christ. So you're sitting, you're the audience, and for the whole time of the play, you'll be looking, and we hope we're going to have good associations <laughs> with the, the image of Christ, which could not be, but that one, if you slow down a bit and you look, maybe you'll be able to see, or it, it might be very obvious to you, the, the compassion in the eyes, the very slight smile, and the eyes, I can't describe it, but it's, a, it's, it's the representation of compassion for him and I agree with that it takes the whole stage in, uh, in the, so it's always in your face in the front of the stage there's the inside of a white kind of um, hip you would say apartment you know white sofa white uh, coffee table white kitchen clinical you know like really clean and there's an old man sitting there with his um, nightgown 
sitting on the on the sofa and he's watching TV. And uh, and the son his son comes. You understand it's his son. You know he comes. The man is maybe in his eighties. Uh, the son in his fifties. And you can see that because of the light and maybe the sound that it's the morning. And the uh, man is getting ready. Is getting dressed to go to work. You can see works. Uh, some financial institution or something like this, you know, the tie, uh, the beautiful watch, you know, and and as just as he, he goes to his father, gives a kiss on the forehead of his father, and uh, goes to leave the room, and then you hear the father who says, ah, 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 ah. and then you look, and he just shit chat, chat, in his. Uh, in his nightgown, you know, on the white sofa. And, and the, the son comes back and is like, oh, oh my God. You know, and goes to grab the towel and starts, uh, he said, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. There's a very short dialogue that's also really something interesting. There's maybe an exchange of maybe 12 lines that is repeated over and over again. And it's always like, no, it's fine, I'll take care of it, there's no problem. I'm so ashamed, I'm so ashamed, oh my God, oh my God. It's fine, Dad, I'll take care of it, no problem. You know, it's a very simple exchange. And you see the son uh, cleaning the father and uh, in a hurried way, because he has to go. And then he dresses him up, and as he leaves, ah, ah, and it happens again, and in the middle of the white carpet, you know. And in this play, it came with smell. Castellucci went that far to bring this really hor- hor- horrible, horrid, or vivid, it's one of the <laughs> words tonight, apparently, smell. And, and then you can see uh, very good, simple acting, but you can see the frustration in the sun, you know, and, and they go through the same dialogue in the washing. And then it happens a third and a fourth time. And the more it happens, which is very beautiful also, is that the more and more they reveal to you the, the conventions. Like you can see at some point that he puts a kind of a, a diaper on the dad, and you, as he's putting it, you can see that there's more stage shit in it, and it's going to burst again, you know? So you're kind of invited in the convention. It's not like super special effect. You, you really think it's true. You know it's not true, but you're in on the symbol of what's happening, you know? And you see the discouragement and the love. And at some point, this, and the whole time, you have Christ, compassionate Christ, looking at you. With anything that happens, it doesn't, it just stays in this really compassionate, uh, has this compassionate look. He's not turning, you know, he's not closing his eyes, he's not having any reaction, he's just in a very stable, very, uh, very, very stable way. I mean, it's an image. You say, well, of course, it's not moving. <laughs> it's uh, painted on the wall. <laughs> yes, I know. But we entered the world of the theater, you know. And so we see that he's actually staying there witnessing. And, it's, and, it's, and at some point, there's shit everywhere. And the experience as a spectator for me and all my friends were there. I had many friends there, even one of my friends with her father. And she was like, oh, why did I choose this? You know, because incontinence happens, you know. And at some point, 
it will, it might, it is happening, you know. And uh, so with my friends, we all agreed after that this was so beautiful because it was about love and the relationship and dedication and confusion and getting over confusion and showing up and shame and wanting to disappear but being taken care of. Anyway, it seemed like the whole of samsara was there, you know, and the whole of nirvana, you could say also. And I was very lucky that evening because, and at some point shit starts to kind of come from the ceiling, like from the top (laughs) over the face of God. Of not God, but the Christ. And the eyes stays, remain the same. It's not just watching a scene, it's an inner experience. And there's the same kind of presence that is complete, intimate. That's my reading of it. At the end of the play, so this play has been um, many... some um, Christian people have like uh, picketed in front of theater when it's played in France and other places saying this is immoral, this is an immoral play. You know, you bring the image of Christ and you mix it with shit. This is just provocation. And so at the end of the play, they said, if you want to stay, you can stay. The, uh, the actors and the director will be happy to meet the audience and have an exchange and so some of the people in the audience had people with really strong opinion, really clinging to very strong opinion. And as soon as there was like this, hey, let's talk about what happened. To me, very close to what the work we do here. Hey, what's, what's just happened? What was it made of? What did we feel? You know? And so some people came, yeah, but no, I don't agree. And this is provocation. And the, the director was uh, very touching because he was really so in line with this play. He was saying, he, he had the same, it was the continuation of the Christ uh, image. And he was very compassionate and he was saying, I agree, that must have been very difficult for you to be there and think that it's a provocation. Honestly, it's not. He was very vulnerable, very revealing, and he was saying, I really wanted to make a play about beauty. Really, that's what I wanted to make. And I thought, there's nothing more beautiful than love. And and that it could come out of the most difficult things, or the most the thing we so don't want to see or smell, you know. And that it's in there that we can find uh, maybe some love and freedom. Anyway, he was, and the people were very charged, some of them, and he was very calm and considering. He was not saying, no, this is not, he was saying, yeah, that must have been hard for you to be here, you know. And, you know, he was, there was something very beautiful. And after we left with my friends and we were all, uh, there was some quality of silence and um, respect, I would say. or like I felt like I've been very lucky to actually see this. Uh, and it's very close to the practice that I do in my life, that I want to do and that I, you know, we teach. And to me it's, uh, so I don't know if you can see a link there or not, but... Um, I, I, I think that it's out of the suffering, our attention, our compassionate attention to suffering, that we can find some kind of freedom, some kind of engagement. And 
if someone said samsara is correcting, I think that's a pretty profound teaching. Samsara is correcting, this wanting it to be otherwise, this wanting to fix. In the same, in the, in the, to use the same kind of form, I would say um, uh, nirvana is appropriate response. Appropriate response is what is possible when the heart is cleared, when the lis- listening is deep. When, uh, and when the listening is deep, the values are remembered, the wisdom is accessible. I would put it like this. And the fourth noble truth is the truth of um, uh, the path. There is a path. That's no news for, for you, you're on it. You've been on it for weeks, months, years. There is a path. We're on it. This is noble put it like this. And I'll finish with just this little um, frame, maybe. The, no- the noble eightfold path, I won't get into it. That's the end of the talk. But sometimes it's divided in three, huh? as many of you know. The sila, the ethics, and uh, the inner work, or the samadhi aspect, of, uh, and the panya, the wisdom aspect. And the sila ethics, um, you could think is to actually... Uh, it brings its own kind of happiness inside oneself. It's called the bliss of blamelessness. And it brings peace and happiness in society, in communities, amongst people. But the real reason why it's there, it's for, uh, for the goal, for the spiritual uh, task of freeing the mind. It brings calm to the mind. It's uh, good conditions to clear the heart. Yeah. The way I understand it also is that we have at least that much wisdom that we recognize that inside this being there's confusion, there's forces at play uh, because of the confusion, there's the greed, the craving. The, and so we put a first line of uh, protection. We say, although there is all this going on, all this confusion, it, I'm actually going to put these lines of uh, not hurting with my sexuality not taking what is not offered. I put these lines so it doesn't ooze out. Yeah, That's the first uh, line of defense, you could say, of protection for self and others. A second line then is the samadhi, or the inner work. The wise effort uh, we need talked about, and the, the concentration and the mindfulness is the perfect condition for any task that you have to do in life. You know, be it at work, in a relationship, or anything, if you have the wise effort, the attention, and the unification, the dedication of mind, you can do any work 
one of the work can be the eightfold path, the, the path to liberation. So that creates the good inner conditions for insight to arise. Um, another way to talk about this also is that um, with concentration, it's the second kind of line of protection. When the mind gets unified and really given, uh, embracing an object, the breath, the <laughs> meta sentences, it's, it gets protected from the craving. Yeah? Because suddenly there's this fullness, contentment, it doesn't need to get something else. And so for a moment, it's not wisdom, it's just momentary. When there's concentration, it feels good because uh, the hindrances abide. Is that the right way? Or are at bay, at least. Yeah, abate. Yeah. So it's momentary. What is really going to do the work is the understanding, the deep understanding that comes from attention. This is the wisdom it's going to liberate. That's the third ultimate protection. The sila, the ethics, the calming of the mind that can keep uh, some of the times the confusion at bay. And then the, the uprooting by understanding. And maybe just this little thing, because I think it's so beautiful. It says, there's two, um, I don't know if I'll find it. In there somewhere. Friend. Sorry. There are two conditions for the arising of wise view, wise understanding. The voice of another and wise attention. The voice of another. And sometimes the voice is a, in a written form. But check out if it's true for you. To me, it's beautiful refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. It's my liberation, the liber- not my, the liberation, the, the sure heart's release is going to happen through the voice of another or through wise attention. May it be so. May it be soon. <laughs>